Welcome to the Yoga Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Saraswati Clare, an award-winning documentary filmmaker and owner of Yoga Kula from the San Francisco Bay Area. Join us to hear from the world's leading experts on yoga, teachers, doctors, scientists, and scholars. To study more deeply with these inspiring teachers, check out the courses on our website, In this new era, where we have the opportunity to envision and create a new world, the practices of yoga help us to live more consciously so that we can create a better inner and outer world. To help others find us, please leave your comments on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Today I'm excited to be talking to Miranda McPherson. Miranda is a spiritual teacher and author who shares a feminine approach to surrender and non-dual realization based on a practice she calls ego relaxation. Her wisdom and palpable transmission invites others to become more graceful human beings through inquiry, meditation, devotion and psychological integration. Miranda today leads the Living Grace Sangha in Northern California and leads retreats internationally. Welcome, Miranda. It's so lovely to be in conversation with you this afternoon. I really appreciate you taking the time. And um, I'm just excited, so excited to talk about this topic um, basically the the healing methods that you have um, brought out to your your students, just ways in which we can be more ourselves in the world. And especially in these times of so much turmoil and change and uncertainty around the globe, you know, there's so many more um, people who are experiencing lots more anxiety, lots more depression and confusion. And uh, I wonder if you could talk to, you know, what, what are the things you've learned on your journey that helps you navigate through these times? Well, the first thing I'd say, Saraswati, other than thank you for having me, it's really good to be here with you, is just how practical spiritual practice actually is. You know, it's, you know, it's so paradoxical, so much about spiritual truth brings us to the paradox because... So often I hear people in times of stress saying, I'm too busy, I've got too much on my plate, I need to sort of, you know, cook the dishes and cook the food and wash the dishes and do these emails and when I've gotten through all my tasks, then I might have a little bit of a time to listen to some meditation or consider this ego relaxation stuff that you're talking about. But you know, really, if we were to flip that on its head, we'd arrive more in the truth of the matter. And I know those feelings very well, you know, when there's a lot going on, when there's a lot that's asked of me, you know, what I have learned is that the sooner that I can just come back to the zero point, the sooner I can just stop for a few minutes and truly, you know, engage what I call ego relaxation, which is just relaxing that I have to do it, I have to figure it out, I have to fix it. Because when we really look at who is that I, it is the ego, it is the separate self. 
it is the construct that believes I'm all alone in the universe. I don't have the resources I need. I have to figure it out and fix it all on my own. And that is the root of stress, that feeling. That is a construct at its core. So when we just take a few minutes, when we recognize I'm stressed, I feel pressure, I don't know what to do, instead of just pushing on, if we were to be willing to just stop and be nothing, do nothing, get nothing, become nothing, seek for nothing, relinquish nothing, just for a moment, to let it all come back to just being here as we are unconditionally in this moment, we might discover that there is a restful inner abiding that is always here. We might call that God. We might call that natural great peace. We might just call it the ground of being or the mystery of the present. It doesn't matter. But that is where we are restored to our original factory default setting, which is naturally peaceful, where we remember and feel I am being lived and breathed by something that is living and breathing the trees and the plants that is connected to what is real. And that provides us with an inner platform with which to just calm down and to arrive at a natural clarity and wisdom from which to naturally know, okay, tackle this now. This is the priority. That doesn't matter so much. This is what's important. This is what isn't. That can be let go of. It happens more naturally and easily when we're willing to take this seriously, to realize that spiritual practice is practical. Mm. And I, it makes me think too, sometimes, you know, when we, we suddenly we find ourselves on holiday mm -hmm. and maybe the first couple of days we're really tired and then after a while ideas and new ways of looking at things come right. up. Uh, you just think of all the people who might like to, you know, be involved in that project or people, you know, people's yes come to mind and creative know. inspiration finds you. Mm -hmm. And that's because when we are tense and stressed and when we are identified with our ego, which means that we truly are kind of tightly contracted and then the belief I'm a separate somebody who has to figure it all out by its own self and that somebody feels like a little child and then there's just trying harder <laughs> there's no space for grace and so grace is the creative kind of font living goodness of existence it, it is the source of inspiration and love and goodness and creativity and it requires space so that's one of the principles of how grace work it's really a dance you know what whatever we can leave empty and allow space grace can fill so that's kind of our part in the process and so we must you know challenge that belief the little voice that comes up saying i don't have time this isn't practical i don't have the luxury that's really not the case 
And so this is something that I personally, you know, live into. I'm not asking people to just take my word for it. I'm saying, try it out for yourself. Tell me about the words, um, you know, what ego, what, when you talk about ego, yeah. what that is and um, what it feels like when you, you've been taken over <laughs> the ego is in control or thinks it is. Well, I think we all know how it feels when the ego is <laughs> in control because we feel tight, tense, stressed. We feel I don't have what I need. Love feels like something we have to earn or deserve or get. All the qualities of our true nature that are intrinsic to part of who we are, they're sewn into the fabric of our being, like peace, love, joy, clarity, kindness, compassion, strength. We feel we don't have access to those things. Those things now seem to be commodities we have to somehow get. Either from the outside, we have to get love through other people approving of us or affirming us, or we have to get strength by being a certain way that is inauthentic to how we actually are in the moment. There's a feeling of peace as not available to us, and joy feels dependent on having access to certain experiences things and experiences, whereas all the deep spiritual teachings have all been saying, no, all of this is within you. And so it's one thing to say that as a principle, but to experience the truth of that, we have to be willing to actually say, okay, let me relax my searching to get it in all the ways I tend to do that. And for everyone, that looks a bit different. But if we're really honest, we can ask, well, what are my strategies? Like, what is the primary construct that I tend to default back to that has me feeling like an insecure child who isn't good enough, that has me feeling I have to try harder or push more or hide anyone from seeing that part of me? These are the constructs that keep us contracted in our ego, which isn't a demon, it's just a construct. It's just a learned way of being, you know, and we all developed a personality, but it's a structure. It isn't our authentic self, the, the center of which is a feeling of separation, which is why there's that feeling of insufficiency or lack or shame i remember uh when i was first studying to learn meditation from meditation teachers and 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 so amazed that it would have taken me to you know sort of the age of 18 or 19 to understand that i didn't have to believe everything my mind thought or that i could um have that just move into a place of witnessing awareness and starting to investigate what you were talking about. And and I have to say, it's something that I feel like we have to, you know, come back to and practice and um, remember. And it always comes up in my teacher trainings too. People will say, um, oh, I thought I was the only one who had this kind of, you know, self-critical mind. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how in our Western culture that, uh, 
you know, we still have this uh, kind of, I guess, um, this uh, a different understanding or a different perception of, of, of being human, of understanding, you know, who we are. And of course, it is the great journey into spiritual practice for so many trying to find the answer <laughs> to that. And the poets, you know, beautiful poets, um, you know, talk to us about that journey. Um, but it is interesting sort of to grow up in, in sort of Western culture where it takes a while to find to find the truth. <laughs> it <laughs> to, does, yeah. yeah. And also I think it uh, so much of it as well. We can read books and at first when we come across spiritual truths, especially when it really pierces us open and there's something in our heart that recognizes, yes, finally, I found this is the answer, this is the truth. It's a little bit like, you know, falling in love with someone, you know, and, and that wild ride of the honeymoon. It feels like, just as it feels like when you fall in love, you could never, you can't imagine hating that person or getting upset with them, you know, or wanting to leave them. You know, it's all wonderful and you think everything's going to be great from now on. And it's like that at the beginning when we first get kind of turned on by spiritual truth and it makes sense to us conceptually. We don't really realize, though, that that's just the beginning. And then what happens is we have to roll up our sleeves and face ourselves, and look at things and feel things and address things that we've all suppressed or tried to avoid for a very long time because there's suffering there. And so I think so much of what the spiritual path is about is learning how to address our suffering with kindness and compassion. You know, learning what helps us to stay present and open our heart towards the things that are difficult for us. And recognizing that, you know, as we, we learn how to meet all of our experiences with curiosity and compassion and grow deeper roots in wisdom and equanimity, it helps us to you know, understand more about our human condition and you know, the, the, the stuff that other people do that we find irritating. and helps us to understand that they're dealing with their own variations of the same thing and that you know, we all just need love and understanding. You know? And, um, you know, during like mid-pandemic too, I mean... It was so horrifying um, to to see, you know, how how much of how many people were being affected and and how many lives were being taken and the sort of frustration of the leadership of the country. And yeah, mm-hmm. just that sense, like, what guidance um, do you have for what are the kind of things that people could do uh, to help themselves um, during those times? Yeah, I think um, it's just. Learning what works for you, you know, in my teachings, I share powerful inquiry practices that help to illuminate obstacles and common patterns of mind, help us work through fears, you know, the roots of fear, help us relax our mechanisms of control, help us to see and understand and soften our judgments, relax our identification with our certain positions you know, um, I also teach chants and mantras, and I find that sometimes when there's really big, difficult things going on in the collective, 
that sometimes that's a way to just turn our consciousness into a living stream of grace that has been passed down the ages, you know, for thousands of years, that, that is deep medicine. And sometimes, you know, in, you know, for myself, um, you know, especially in the time around the election where things were just really crazy, Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt a very strong need to not turn away, even though it was uncomfortable to watch the news and hear the rhetoric and mm-hmm. see the craziness and the violence and the aggression. I found it very difficult and painful, as many of us did and still do. Um, one of the things I really turned to for myself was mantras mm-hmm. and prayer, because it just helped me find the soft place in the heart that is always here, even though, you know, and it helped me gain a lot more perspective in those moments when I was feeling very frustrated to just stay with the mystery of it all, to not cut off from my own heart, to not go hard in the face of others' hardness, um, to, to be with the intensity that wasn't easy. You know, and of course, to prioritize, you know, my meditation practice. And I teach that to people. I teach a lot of different kinds of meditation because I don't think it's a one size fits all. And I think it, it, you know, it's about getting to know how we work and what helps us to stay present, to be more compassionate, to understand what's really going on for us and to open towards it rather than close down and judge and repress. So, uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of it is also regarding everything that happens in life as an invitation. I was teaching that around the time of the pandemic, that if we were to regard these times as a profound divine invitation, and a divine invitation is, you know, can come in many personal forms as the specifics of our life situation, the challenges and the gifts, but also, you know, collective invitations. So I think in this time, the collective invitation, no matter who you are, it really is about opening to change, to constructive change, to befriending change, to accepting impermanence and to learn how to yield to what wants to be rather than cling to what we feel we should be able to have. Yeah, as you're saying that, I'm sort of feeling that uh, often in my teacher, we had an online teacher training through this whole um, pandemic, and uh, I just kept saying, and I could feel this, that this is what we have the teachings for in that mm-hmm. this is the golden opportunity to um, to really self-reflect and notice, um, you know, the ways in which you you contract and the, yeah. the times when you can release. And, um, and really it's um, great guidance for the rest of your life because there's always uncertainty. There's nothing. That's else. right. That's exactly right. I mean, in a way, it's just been in our face, but it's always been true. Yes. I mean, you know, we've never been in control. I mean, if you think of it this way, like, did you get to choose who you fall in love with? Did you get to choose the moment of your birth? Mm-hmm. 
Will you get to choose the moment of your death? Will you get to choose how long you have with your husband or your wife? And no. (laughs) The most important things that affect us the most, we don't get to be in charge of. And so that tells us a lot that there is something bigger that has been running the show this whole time. And it actually knows what it's doing. So we would be wiser to open ourselves to recognize this force that is, the, I call it the, under, the loving goodness that underlies our life, you know, and to look for evidence for it. Because, for example, when you recognize it right here and now, you and I and everyone are naturally drawing breath. There's the homeostatic mechanism of the body that knows how to draw breath. It happens of itself. And in that drawing of breath, we're receiving oxygen from the plant kingdom that is compassionately sucking in our carbon dioxide and transmuting that into life-giving oxygen. And a press release from URI isn't needed for that to happen every day. It's just what happens. And if we really pay attention to the ordinary, everyday facts of existence, it reminds us, oh, that the pulse of life, there's a loving goodness and a beneficence that is fundamental. And this is a really important education because it helps us to relax out of our mistrust, which is always learned A mistrust is always learned from impressions when we didn't get what we needed, when we were on the receiving end of someone's ignorance or suffering or unkindness or neglect. That usually wasn't intentional. It was usually that they didn't get what they needed. And where did that begin? I mean, it's chicken and egg. But if we bring our attention into the present moment and we take in the evidence for the loving goodness of existence for its own, it helps us just to settle, to relax, to just simply be here and to trust life, to trust that there is something that has decided it's time for us to change. Well, we only have to look at the environmental crisis to see that that's objectively true. And who knows, but perhaps one of the silver linings in all of this is, you know, perhaps this is an opportunity for some important changes that just need to be made that probably we, we wouldn't have been able to make as quickly enough as they need to be made. Mm-hmm. And the urgency of this situation is just forcing the issue. Because our ego resists change. You know, our ego's default is, no, I don't want to. (laughs) Let me keep things as I know them. And everyone's ego is the same. We all hold on to what we know because it offsets the fundamental insecurity of our ego. Remember, our ego is our sense of separation and it feels like an insecure child. So it's always wanting to hold on to what it knows and what it has. But that doesn't work very well. You know, that doesn't serve sometimes. Sometimes it is important that we learn to let go. So this is about us growing up spiritually. And 
Like Becoming a little bit more mature, saying yes a little bit more frequently with a little more grace and relaxing our no. As you were speaking, I was thinking of the word discomfort. Uh-huh. We, we so often, and I, you know, see that in myself of, oh, um, this is causing discomfort because mm-hmm. I have to do things differently. I have to run a studio, a yoga studio, but I'm not allowed to open up the doors. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, every day there's little discomforts of, um, oh, my car needs to go to the mechanic. Oh, that's a discomfort. <laughs> you know, it's annoying. Yeah. I can, can really build up a story or that person didn't respond in the way that I would prefer them to respond. And so it's causing this aggregation or, you know, it's like we're so um, wanting to control. Yes. So, you know, we can not be disturbed. <laughs> well, we can hold on to what we know, yes. whether that is our familiar way of being in the world, mm-hmm. our familiar way of doing things, or fundamentally, our familiar way of knowing who we are. Mm. And deep spiritual awakening is really about, you know, changing the way we, ex- we, the way we relate to ourself, because mm. that is the filter through which we look out into life. And, you know, that's, that's what ego relaxation is really all about, is relaxing your self-construct because that changes the world you see and how you behave within it, mm. all in one fell swoop. And, and tell us what what the you know this the what is revealed, what as you are on the journey of, of, of this spiritual awakening or coming home, what what how you describe that experience of finding your true nature? Well, that's a big question. But I'll just speak from my personal experience. Is I, I've come to see, and it's not a, a sort of a destination because it's a continuation, really. But ultimately, there's nothing but grace in the depth of things. The fact that we get to have any experience and be here at all is a blessing. Even though some experiences are less comfortable than others, some experiences you know, are more challenging or more confrontational. But, I mean, really, just if you were to imagine that you were at the deathbed of someone really important to you and that inevitably, you know, how it is for all of us with people who are really important to us, we have plenty of ups and downs with those folks. You know, we mm-hmm. have moments where we get in each other's face sometimes and we're pissed off and then they're not fulfilling our needs or desires. And other times where we're going through big things together and we're really there for each other. And But I know that, you know, when I'm at the deathbed of someone really important to me, you know, the most real thing that I say and can say, and that I feel is, thank you for everything. Yeah. It has been a privilege, an absolute, all of it, including the arguments mm-hmm. and the stuck places and the, the moments when we didn't agree. It's been a privilege. And life is a privilege, a blessing. Yeah. And so I think, you know, part of the the grace in the fierceness of what we've all been going through and are still going through in different ways is that one would hope that the fact of death on our shoulder, so many deaths, 
loved ones dying, you know, the challenge, the extremity of our situation, is that it brings us squarely back into this, mm. just this and the important things, what actually matters and helping us let go of what doesn't. You know, like being right doesn't actually matter. <laughs> you know, who cares in the end? Mm. You know, what matters is that we do our best and we, we show up with honesty and authenticity and courage and we be kind when we can and we help out when we can and we keep our sense of humor and, you know, we do our best to be true and wise and noble and beautiful. And and that those things are really very simple ultimately. But it's yeah, what makes our life meaningful. I uh, was reflecting too as you're speaking about being in uh, Manhattan during 9-11 and the next, um, you know, few days, weeks following when the um, subway began to open up and people were just so kind to each other and just, you know, just like, how are you doing? And sit here and I'll stand up. And, you know, just like the, the sweetness that happened between people. It was extraordinary. It was like best friends seeing one another and really acknowledging and it was like, oh, this is this is what can happen when things are tight and difficult. Yeah, when there's fierce conditions, mm. it can cut through a lot of the nonsense yes. and the deadness mm. and the kind of getting lost in That's, superficial mm. things that don't really matter. Mm. It can clarify things very fast. Mm. And that's why the term fierce grace, mm. you know, Yes, it's fierce and we need, you know, compassion for the fact of the fierceness and the difficulties. But it's also grace, you know. We were talking too about the, you know, the goal of your practice or at least the uncovering your, you know, the space of love within or wisdom within. Can you talk us to a little bit more about that and also... Um, what, how, how you describe grace... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, to me, grace is the fullness, I think, of reality or God as everything and nothing. So in Buddhism and some of the Eastern traditions, you know, ultimate reality is spoken of as spaciousness or emptiness or vastness. And yet it's, you know, out of this emptiness or nothingness that that the fullness of love and beauty and joy emerges. And so hence that dance of everything and nothing. And so the more I relax into being nothing and no one, and I don't mean putting myself down, but when you see that your personality is nothing, actually, it's not a real thing, it's a structure. So network of adaptive mechanisms and memories and past experiences and conditioning that you happen to call me it's gotten shaped into a personality but at the core the, if you really penetrate it you see that it's nothing and that's a beautiful seeing because then there's no problem there's nothing to fix there's nothing you have to prove all the stress and the pressure disappears and so 
relaxing, letting go into being nothing and no one, which is my experience when I just meditate and I just quiet down when I don't have to do anything, emails or ordinary stuff. It's just that's just there, this infinite, vast, silent, depthful presence that is simultaneously, infinitely, boundlessly loving and peaceful and joyful independent of any external conditions and not only that experience is just there it is my nature and it is the true nature of everything and everyone whether they know it or not all I'm saying is well you can know it Mm -hmm. not just conceptually but you can know it it is available for you for anyone who is sincere to get to know themselves in that depth And that getting to know yourself in that depth is the resolution of all the problems that you think are your problems that aren't really your problems. Your real problem is that you don't know yourself in your depth and you think you have to make something better or become spiritual or figure it out or fix it or stop having this habit or that habit. Well, maybe, maybe not. You know, but really, who and what you are, you know, is divine being and it can never not be divine being and everything and everyone is beloved and holy and sacred and when you know that in your heart then experience of life is um is a lot sweeter and kinder and more spacious I think uh, particularly here, yeah, I, mean, I, I say Western world because I'm, I'm more familiar with the Western way, um, particularly I think in, in this country, um, there's so much pressure, um, it seems, and um, people, you know, striving to get ahead, striving to make things work and, you know, you hear about these young children who are, Pass, trying to pass exams so that they're thinking about getting to the university they want and you know sort of it starts so so young and then this expectation of um you know achievement um, so everyone's got you know carries around this baggage of maybe their ancestral you know craving as well the mm-hmm. um, you know the the samskaras the the tendencies um, come through, you know, yeah. your tendencies. Yeah, so, we all carry a lot of, you know, the get the deeper we look into ourselves, the more you see a lot of layers of your ego aren't even yours personally. They're things that your parents and their parents weren't able to resolve traumas that have occurred, you know, intergenerationally and also culturally, mm-hmm. you know. But whatever it is, it the, the the medicine is the same. Stay present and meet it all with love, mm. as our mind just keeps dissolving back into God. Mm. Yeah. One of the reasons I love teaching Hatha Yoga so much is uh, encouraging our students and myself to to move more into the present, to be still, and to. You know, tune into the beating of the heart and mm. you know, the softening into you know the just the sensation the amazing sensations of the human body yes being, being still and, and softening 
Yeah. That's a great teaching. You know, when I was really young on the path as a teenager, I got into Hatha yoga, Iyengar yoga actually, and Mm. it was perfect for me at the time. I really think that helped me. So I had a lot of trauma and a lot of repressed difficulties and conflicts and emotions from my childhood, and I wasn't ready to just sort of go into therapy and figure that all out. Mm. I really needed to come into just myself first and I was very fortunate to meet a real teacher you know when I was 17 Mm -hmm. and uh, that time this is Perth Western Australia Mm -hmm. you know it's kind of many years behind everywhere else so there was like one tiny little yoga studio and yoga is was not what it was today where it's on every street corner and it's you know Mm -hmm. practice at gymnasiums and online it was none of that and so it was very fortunate to go to this real yoga teacher where there were a maximum of 10 people in the class and you got adjusted in every single pose. And I remember him, you know, coming to adjust me in a pose and, you know, I was young and my body was flexible and it could do everything. But he would always say to me, you know, Miranda, you're doing gymnastics, not yoga. This is yoga. There's no awareness in your toe. You're not here. Come here. <laughs> he could tell, yes. you know. And it was so beautiful. And I, I still hear his coaching at any time when I do any yoga asanas. And it was so beautiful, that simple instruction, you know, in how to just come into presence through one's breath and body. And the lessons that teaches you of breathing and being, contacting and being, persevering, but with patience, not push. So important. Mm. Such a subtle teaching. You know, that, uh, that beautiful culmination of doing your best, Mm. going towards what's difficult, but not overriding. Right. You know? yeah, I think it's such a great um, imagery for a spiritual journey mm. is, um, you know, keeping that awareness and then finding that balance between the edge of, um, you know, uh, not, not pushing beyond an, an aggressive way, but being respectful of your body, being respectful of. But what, not avoiding the difficult poses. Yes. Because, yes. of course, that's what the, the ego wants to do is, oh, well, I don't, those poses are hard for me. Let's not do them. <laughs> Well, that doesn't develop your practice. And so, and it will likely lead to an imbalance. Yes. You know, so I'm always saying to people, well, when you're exploring what is a good practice for you, Mm. consider your strengths and weaknesses. Mm. So don't just do the practices that make you feel happy. Of course, do them. But also consider what is it that's really hard for you, Mm -hmm. actually needs development. Right. And what what practice would actually help to strengthen that weakness? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether that's bringing more one-pointed concentration through working with a, a certain concentration practice in your meditation. Most people will really benefit from that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, well, kind of like if you were learning anything, like an instrument, you know. Yeah. You're, you you want to find the place where there's jo- joy in in the session, and if you don't practice or you don't you know pick up the instrument, um, you know 
it, you'll you'll walk away and forget about it. <laughs> so there's the coming back, the practicing, and then you know just being aware of, of the different sounds and and feeling into. I love to be in, in a practice and and just guiding people to find that sense of freedom within pose mm-hmm. where we've spent time lining and, and bringing the body and the breath into alignment. And then there's just that sweet spot, that moment where it's, it feels, you know, safe and strong in the body. Yeah, Right. So that's in my language, you know, that's where the grace becomes very apparent. Mm, beautiful. Right. And so there's always a grace, a dance between effort and effortlessness. Ramana Maharshi said that there is a state beyond both effort and effortlessness, but until it is realized, the gentle effort is required. Mm-hmm. And I love that. It's the gentle effort. Mm-hmm. It's not no effort, mm-hmm. but it's not an efforting, not a pushing from your ego. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so um, you have your beautiful course coming up here very soon, the uh, Ego Relaxation. Um, can you tell us about what to expect in that course? Yeah, I think it's um, it's just a, a simple offering really, but it's something based on an article I wrote a while ago that ego relaxation makes us both more peaceful and more productive. And so I want to really help people understand what ego relaxation is. Because it's not just sitting on a meditation cushion. It's not just, oh, let me lie down and exhale. I mean, all of that's great. But it really is a learning to relax out of your ego construct and its activity. And so it's your ego doing that, is, that causes unnecessary stress and struggle and strife. But true nature is perfectly capable of being very dynamic and very efficient. Just look out the window and observe Mother Nature and you'll see she's very dynamic and very efficient. And so our true nature has that possibility as well of being very clear, very lucid, very effective at whatever it is that is required of us in our daily life. But the trick is to understand the difference between our ego activity and letting doing happen from a relaxed inner state of being. So I'll be talking about that, about you know clearing up the confusion about what ego relaxation is. It's not being a couch potato, but it is about learning to spot when your ego activity is clouding the way and how to reset and how to let your doing flow more from a more easeful inner state where you are naturally in and part of the infinite intelligence and love of the universe. And sounds flowery and, you know, out there and it's actually surprisingly practical. I wouldn't bother if it wasn't. Like you, I'm a down-to-earth Australian woman. I care about what actually works. Mm-hmm. I've had to, you know, come up and deal with a lot of tough material in my own life. And this is practically what I find to be the most efficient way of living life, mm-hmm. including really tricky stuff like navigating how to get legal with the U.S. Immigration Department and you know, bringing forth teachings and adapting to changes in this age where, 
you know, like you, I mean, 80% of my work prior to the pandemic was in person. Well, you know, everything had to change. And so it helps us to be flexible with the winds of change and to, um, to go with what is and to allow our way of being to become more graceful. So I'm going to be speaking to that. Wonderful. I'm so looking forward to that. Anytime we've talked about this, I'm like, I need to hear this. <laughs> well, we all do. You know, we all do. Yeah. That's why I'm sharing it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for this beautiful conversation. It's so inspiring to hear you speak and um, really helpful for me. And um, I'm sure to many, many of our listeners, it would be wonderful to hear. Yeah, you, you're welcome. And I'm very happy and just also to let everyone who's listening know that my website, mirandamcpherson.com, has so many downloadable resources. There's a lot on that site, you know, deliberately in the store. On every there's downloadable videos, there's meditations, there's practices, there's articles, there's things to read, a lot of practical stuff. And I really hope that people will just go there, surf around, find something that feels useful to them and enjoy it. Wonderful. We'll add the, the link in the notes as well. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Great. Well, thank, thank you. you. Have a beautiful day. I really thank you, Saraswati. You too. Thanks so much for joining us. Please leave us a review so that others can find us.